This is the I Love Success Podcast. I'm Peter Jurukowski, and I have made a vow to myself to help as many people as possible to achieve their dreams. Let's get started. Hey guys, and welcome back to the I Love Success Podcast. I'm super excited because today I have a real, true fitness entrepreneur, and I'm excited because my virtual world tour is continuing. For people that know me, this is we're almost at 200 episodes, and the first 173 or so, all of them were in person, eye to eye. I always denied Zoom calls, and here I am, COVID-19. I've taken this head on and actually starting to love traveling virtually uh, to, to meet with people that I wouldn't be able to connect with otherwise. So yeah, here we are providing as much value as we can. Uh, today, I'm here with Peter Taunton, a pioneer in the fitness industry. All the way back in 2003, he had a vision for Snap Fitness and he wanted to create an affordable 24-7 results-driven gym differentiated from the impersonal, expensive, big-box experiences. And as with many journeys, people that continue and have a grit and passion, things really happen. So Snap Fitness today has over 2,500 franchises in 26 countries. Peter owns multiple other businesses. He's been named Ernst and, Young, Ernst and Young Entrepreneur of the Year and so much more. He's in uh, his uh, summer home now, I would say, but most of the time he spends in Miami and I can see that on his tan. Uh, I love being tanned as well. So I think we will have some great conversations on that too. Welcome, Peter. Hey, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Super excited and uh, just want to kind of go back. Uh, today is about honoring your journey so we can learn and, 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 and help other people out there that want to create a business and, and a life to be proud of. So if we take back to the young Peter, can you just talk about you growing up and, and uh, when did you found a passion for fitness and business? Well, you know, for me, I grew up just if you're taking your way back, I'll take you back to when I was eight years old, but I grew up young of, of seven kids. I have an identical twin and uh, he and I are the youngest of seven kids. And I grew up in a relatively small town and, uh, and my father had a, had a, a small grocery store in, in that, in, in our hometown. And um, my first, my first venture into business was literally selling popcorn in front of my father's grocery store. And it was, and my parents were very old school, but you know, my dad, he's kind of a man's man. He's a total stud. And he just says, Hey, here's, here's the deal, Peter, you're either going to be in school, you're going to be playing sports, or you're going to be working for me. That, that's what, that's what it's going to feel like for you. And probably, you know, best thing he ever did because they kept me out of trouble. And um, so from, from that perspective, I, I was selling popcorn for him in front of his grocery store. And one of the first lessons I ever learned that I didn't know at the time that would be something that I would hold true to my heart today and, and literally um, was something that played an effect in my life through all of my success. I was sitting behind the, my popcorn stand like any eight-year-old boy would do, and uh, my father walks past me. He walks about 40 feet. He stops, and he pivots, and he works his way back towards me, and he stands right in front of me. Now, I'm a little nervous because I, 
I'm eight years old. I thought, what did I do now? Right. And he says, son, how are sales? And I was going to give him my eight year old dissertation on how sales were. And, you know, I spit out a few words and he stops me, he goes, son, your sales are slow because you're sitting behind that stand. You got to get out from behind that stand and go ask people if they'd like some popcorn. So, you know, as, as trivial as that sounds, I, I clearly after my dad left, I got out from behind that stand. But as an eight-year-old boy going up and pulling on the sleeve of, of adults and saying, hi, would you like some popcorn? It's freshly popped. It tastes really good. And, you know, you're trying to give them your pitch as an eight-year-old. It did a number of different things. Number one, it brought you out of your shell, number one. It taught you how to communicate with people. But the life lesson was, if you want something in life, you better go get it. It's not going to come to you go get it. And, and that's been true my entire life. You know, you, you either, you either watch things happen or you make things happen. And, and I think most of the successful people I've ever met, they tend to make things happen for themselves. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Peter. And, and it, it's quite funny because uh, we have a, a similar story. Uh, I'm an immigrant kid and my, my, my parents grew up in Sweden and uh, had this, um, tobacco shop where you could play horses, sports betting, buy magazines, cigarettes. And I used to work there since I was six years old, actually. Wow. And I couldn't even reach the counter. I had to stand there, learn talking to people, learning how, how people react. And I, I remember years after, I could see when someone walked in, if they were going into to, uh, the other room to, for sports betting, if they were looking for the daily newspaper, or if they were going to buy cigarettes, because I, I, I learned, it, I learned people in a way. Yeah. And I don't know if you agree on that. If you're, if you're a good people's person, just because of being exposed to that for, for, for so much. I, I think definitely. I mean, I, I think becoming a good communicator um, takes practice. Right. And I, I know for me, it did. And believe it or not, when, when I was younger, I was a shy kid. I, I didn't I, you know, I probably lacked confidence um, and and I was relatively shy. And I really selling popcorn was one thing that brought me out of my shell. The other piece of it that brought me out of my shell was getting involved in sports. And, and I was I, I was a good athlete. And um, and the success that came with being a good athlete and all the accolades you get by being a good athlete it helped me it helped gain confidence and and help develop the person that i am today so that's awesome and uh, how how is your relationship with your uh, twin and how how was life growing up was he in, into business as well or like can you just talk about that yeah, my twin brother, he's a successful businessman as well. And in fact, he experienced success long before I did. When we were in our early 20s, when I went to go work for a health club, he, he started a shoe store and he had no shoe experience at all. He opened up a store that was very similar to a footlocker. And um, he, he built that store. He got a small loan, uh, built one store. And then um, over a period of time, he transitioned to a larger shopping center and his business absolutely took off. He grew that business. He started that business when he was about 20, 24 years old, 23, 24 years old. By the time in his early 30s, he had built that thing to, by the time he was 37, he built that to 104 stores and sold it to Foot Locker for about 35, 40 million. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. And, and, and you know what? 
completely self-made guy. I mean, we come from very humble backgrounds. We're not, we're not trust fund babies. You know, my parents, even when it came to college, my parents said, look, if you want to go to college, you pay for it. I mean, it was just really old school. And I needed that. I needed that pressure of uh, no, there was no plan B for myself and there was no plan B for Paul. So I, you know, I, I admire him. He's a hard worker today. He's now he's building another company and, and he's done very well with it. So have you guys been competitive? Oh man, I, I can, I can't even, I'll tell you how competitive we are. I mean, we're competitive in sports. When we were little kids getting off the bus, we would be literally, our driveway was about 120 yards long and we would race every day. And if you, you know, we'd say market set, go. And you'd say, hey, no fair, I have a backpack. And you know, you'd lean over your shoulder, tough shit, drop the backpack, <laughs> you know. Hey, if you, if you, depends on how you, if you want to be competitive, you better, you're going to have to drop the backpack. So look, that, however you want to do this, right? But you're, so we're very, very competitive. We're competitive in business. We're competitive in sports. We both ended up playing racquetball. Uh, we both became professional players. And, um, and I, I, I attribute a lot of that to, we pushed each other. He was a good athlete as well. And we just pushed each other. Like you can't believe. Yeah. I truly believe that you need, in order to grow, you need someone that will push you to, to do that little extra. I was an athlete for many years. I was a world medalist in karate. And like, right. I remember I'm from a small town and I had to visualize my opponents during training, like uh, that I'm fighting them. Every time I went running, they were in my mind. I, and I can just imagine having that physically and living together. That's a crazy good motivation to do more and be more, right? Absolutely. And, and having, being, having an identical twin where you're, you're evenly matched, you have the same body style, same weight. So you're evenly matched in, 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 any, in you know, any sport that you choose. And when you talk about competitiveness, I'll tell you straight away, you know, if, if, when he and I would get in arguments and we would literally get in fights, right? Like fights. I bet. <laughs> it was like, it was literally fist fights. I mean, like bare knuckle, barroom brawl, fist fights. And my, you know, my dad would have to come out on the yard and break it up. You know, it was we're that competitive. We're just really intense and competitive. And, you know, it, it, you know, it, it served us well. It really did. Yeah. And can we just start and talking about like, when did your passion for fitness come in? And like, when did you decide, Hey, I, I want to actually build, build something in the fitness field. You know what? When I, when I was 13 years old, I picked up a racquetball racket. And prior to that, I had focused on, the, you know, the, the big three sports. Back then, it was football, baseball, basketball. And in, the, and then in those days, you could play all three sports in school. You know, now it's really hard to do. But when I was 13, I picked up a racquetball racket for the first time. And it felt really good in my hand. It felt really natural. And to make a long story short, you know, that is the sport that I became a, a, a professional in. I was a touring pro for 12 years and uh, it gave me a chance to see the countryside. But more importantly, it gave me a chance to see health clubs all over the country. And I realized that, you know, that God willing, you know, this would be an occupation that I could really enjoy. It's a great environment. You're around positive people. You're creating, you're, you're making an impact on people's lives. So it was very inspiring for me. I didn't know quite, I didn't know then how I was ever going to make a living at it, but 
it, 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 you know, the, the, the health and wellness space interested me. And then when I was in my early 20s, I had an opportunity to turn around a failing club. It was a, a club that I had played at as I was growing up. The club was losing about $200,000 a year. And the owners gave me an opportunity to try to turn around this failing club. And they, and they only paid me $16,000 a year. But they, they said, look, if you turn it around, we'll let you buy us out with the profits that you generate. And that's the only thing. I just needed my window. I needed my opportunity. I needed my break, if you will. And, and I took that break. And you, you to take a business that was losing $200,000 a year and try to turn it around, I had to get really, really creative to do it. And that served me really well in the later years when I started Snap Fitness. So how did you do it? I, you know, I did it. It's, it's kind of funny when I, when I came up from my, from or at the time I was living in Orlando, Florida. And when I moved back up here to take over this job, I said to the guys, okay, so what's my marketing budget? What's, you know, what's, what do I have to work with? And they looked at me like I had a horn growing out my head and they said, Peter, this business loses 200,000 a year cash flow. We have no money. So, you know, this is what you need to do. You need to figure it out. And so I did, I, you know, that, that was a character building moment. And when I talk to people who are successful, every one of them, some of the best learning experiences that you'll ever learn are going to come through times of adversity. All right. And, and for me, I could have done one or two things. I either could have a folded up tent and said, Hey guys, this isn't for me. I've got no chance or B really spit in the palms of your hands and say, look, I'm going to figure this out. And I did. I remember going into a carpet store and I said, look, I need carpet because this club needed a facelift and we didn't have any money. So I said, I, I went into a carpet store. I said, I need carpet, but here's the problem. I don't have any money, but I have memberships. So if you give me carpet, I'll trade out carpet for memberships for all of your employees and their families. And to my surprise, I had some takers. And, and once when I got into that club and I started replacing carpet and you know how you, how you smell that fresh carpet glue and you, and you start repainting walls and putting some plants and things. And I was really smart about my remodel. I started at the front door and in the lobby. So the first impression you got was really solid, right? I made, I made sure that my staff was on point. I retrained all of them. I fired about half of the staff because they weren't engaged. They weren't passionate. They didn't love what they do. And I just said, look, we're, we can't have anything other than overachievers working for this company. And I was the youngest employee. I was the youngest employee of the company, right? So they're, they're thinking, who is this 22-year-old guy rocking the mullet? firing us and telling us how we're going to do things because they had they had done it the wrong way for probably 10 years prior to me getting there and i just said hey look we're not going to be average so if you if you if you think you're going to come up here and just skate through the day you're not going to that's not going to work here in this camp and uh, you know what it worked out in 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 a matter of six years i took a club that was losing two hundred thousand a year to making two hundred and fifty thousand a year so that's a huge swing and I did it through a lot of hard work and, and training of the staff and rehiring of the staff. And I, I just made people feel special. And, and to this day, some of those things that I incorporated in that business, I, I do today. You know, when you walk into a health club today, you want to feel appreciated. You want to feel respected. If I can call you by name, great. I mean, it should be, hey, Peter, how's it going? Have a great workout today. If you need anything, I'm right here. And then when they leave, 
hey, Peter, thanks for coming in. I hope to see you tomorrow. That's got to be just the, that's got to be ground zero. I mean, if you can't do that at the, at, with every customer, uh, you're not in the game. Let's talk about like small businesses, especially in the fitness field. There's so many great people in this field, but there are also so many people that are struggling. Like, why do you think that is? And, and what would be your uh, best advice to kind of turn, turn your business around if you're in that, that uh, slope? Some of, the, some of them, it, the, the, the downside to the fitness space, if you got into the gym space five years or later, ago um it's really really capital intense because a, a, the most the most the fastest growing segment within the fitness space today is the boutique fitness space it's the person who was they've been a personal trainer at the big box club um and they and or they've been a trainer at orange theory or barry's boot camp or f45 and they say look i'm gonna go open up my own gym because they realize they can they can go rent a, a three thousand square foot space, buy some kettlebells and, and a few pieces of, of equipment, and they're in business. So the so the capital in, the capital cost to get into a health club today is a lot less than it was five years ago. Five years ago, you were buying treadmills, and you know it was hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to get a club open. Today, you can do one of these boot camp types thing, which is group fitness and functional training, you can do that for a fraction of the cost. So for some of those people that are still in the old school days of, of, of a lot of weights and cardio and very little functional training space, they've got to, my recommendation to those people is they've got to pivot. They've got to reinvent themselves a little bit because people want that functional training type feeling and component. The, the other side of it too is the expectation of the consumer today is you better have an understanding about uh, about uh, um, weight loss, about nutrition and exercise. So every single client that walks into my door, I've got to first ask them, what are your wellness goals? What are your fitness goals? What do you want to try to accomplish here? Because this is a marathon, it's not a sprint. And once they articulate to me what it is they want to do, I've got to lay out a plan. I've got to chart a plan for them to get them to the promised land. I've got to be able to deliver on my promise to that client. So if you can't do that today, if you don't have that basic understanding of nutrition and exercise and, and tie, them to get them, tie them together so people can hit their goals, if you can't do that every day of the week, you're not going to be, you're not going to be around for long. No, I think that's it's so interesting because there's so many great trainers out there. They're starting gyms, but they don't have the business experience, right? And I think that to find that balance, it, it's a little bit tricky. It is. And I'm surprised when I, I do a lot of consulting and mentoring for the type of people who you're just talking about. I'm very surprised that they don't understand the correlation between how many members do they need to have in order to, of recurring billing to cover their monthly nut. Okay. And they haven't made that correlation. And then I look at their operating expenses and there's, you know, there's needs and there's wants. And I tell you what, if you've got a business that is not cash flow positive, you, you have got to look at your spend. Every time a check goes out the door, you've got to be looking at that and say, what kind of value is that check bringing to me? That outflow of capital, 
Is it, is it enhancing my customer experience? Or is it something that just makes my job a little bit easier? Because you know what? Early on as an entrepreneur, you better be willing to sacrifice. So some of those luxuries that make your job a little bit easier, sometimes you have to forego those things until you get cash flow positive. Do you know what I mean? Which means you're going to work longer. You're going to work harder. Look, I understand that. And some people are going to say, oh, Peter, I would rather work smart. Hey, look, you can work as smart as you want, but if you're not cash flowing, you're out of business, right? So spare me the work smart stuff. And, you know, I get that a lot from millennials. There's a certain level of entitlement. They say, I need these things. I say, no, you're going to have to shore up the difference here with hard work and grit. Because if you try to incorporate that, 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 component that piece of software these things that you're trying to do that's going to add to your burn and if and, and believe me your customer doesn't care what kind of software you're using to run your business your customer doesn't care about that they just want to make sure that you can provide a great workout experience for them your customer service is impeccable so there's there's wants and there's needs and there's many times that i pull people back a little bit from what their spend is until they get cash flow positive because a, you don't have a sustainable business if it's not cash flowing unless of course you've got some money that's subsidizing the money whether you've got a parent or somebody helping you out or you're independently wealthy and and you're pulling from your savings but that's not a business i mean at some point in time you've got to cut bait yeah let's talk about challenge peter and adversities would you mind sharing like what has been your biggest adversity in your life and how did you like what did you learn from that and how did you overcome that well the i mean obviously the biggest the biggest challenge in, in my lifetime is what we're going through right now with covert 19 i mean clearly but prior to covert 19 and we can talk about that a, a little bit if you'd like but prior to covert routine it's literally the biggest adversity would be competitive pressure within the marketplace that you know when you're in when you've got a product and you've got a, 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 a certain, let's just say you're in a 4,000 square foot club and you don't have room to expand. So everything you're offering is within that 4,000 feet and think you're rolling along and things are going well and, and you're making good money. And then what happens? A competitor comes into your marketplace. A competitor comes in with a little bit bigger footprint. He undercuts you in price and suddenly you're in you're, the battle. The battle lines have been drawn. And now how do you keep that customer base? Well, we, we, we keep telling our franchisees, look, it's, it's not always about faster treadmills and heavier weights. That's not it. It's about connecting with your customer. And that's the, and that's the challenge with a franchisee to tell them, hey, look, the heavy lifting is you've got to get involved with your members. You've got to work on, you've got to work on creating a culture within your four walls. And if you don't do that, if you, let me back up a little bit. If you can create an unbelievable culture in your four walls, if you know, if I call you by name and I know your kids' names and I know your life and I make a point to be present and, and, and engage you when you come into my club, when I can create that kind of a community within my four walls, it'll take wild horses to drag my members out, Okay. If I don't do it, then they're just another member coming in. And I tell you what, when the next shiny penny comes along and opens up a quarter mile up the road from you, they're gone. They're gone because you've given, you've given them no reason to, to stay. You haven't made them feel special. They don't feel loved. They don't feel appreciated. They're going to go up there and run on that brand new treadmill. So that's the overcoming adversity. 
that's the hard part. The hard part is trying to get that message into the heads of, of franchisees to say, look, you've, you've been able to skate along here for the last five years, but right now you better be prepared to go to war. And if you're not, then we need to think about transitioning another franchisee in here. Otherwise, what's going to happen? You're going to die a death of a thousand paper cuts. I mean, it, it's interesting because it looks like we're talking about human connection, right? And that's, that's what we all love. I know when I'm going to the gym, if, if nobody know, knows who I am or like, it's not that fun, but if someone is talking to you, like giving you some tips, you're, you're having some fun, uh, you want to come back. Absolutely. It matters. It's all about the value that you feel when you're in your club right? What value does your club bring you? And in some cases, the value is certainly the equipment is in good working order. That's some value. Um, that, that, that It's conveniently located as to where you live or to where you work. So that's another box that you can check. But, you know, that those, those are easily um, replicated by a competitor. What's tough to, rep what you can't teach is community and culture. They can never take the relationship that you have with your members. Now, if you don't have a relationship with your members, they don't have to worry about it because they know that you're, all they have to do is provide a better product and they know those members are going to come. And, and how have you dealt with COVID-19, which is like the hardest hit for all, all gyms ever, right? Yeah. Well, across all of my brands, I probably have 2,500, 3,000 locations closed around the world. And I feel horrible. I feel terrible for some of these business owners because keep in mind, imagine that you've got your life savings in this business and you opened it up and the business you've, you've built a great business. The members appreciate you. Your business is thriving. You're expanding. You're, you're, you're socking away money. You feel really good about yourself. And then one day the government comes along and says, Oh, by the way, you need to close your doors. And literally overnight you, you went from having a business and you had revenue to literally no revenue. That is a gut shot for many of these people. And many of these franchisees, they didn't, you know, they might have two or three months of dry powder of, of cash. Okay. So two or three months of operating capital after that they're, they're out of money. So it's, 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 it's a tough, it's a tough gig, you know? And so I feel my heart's go out to those people. So, you know, right now we have about 270 stores that are opening up and that are open uh, every, every day, some more come online. So, but it, it's the new normal is going to be a lot of hand sanitizer. You know, some people I'm sure will wear masks. That's fine. That we'll be spacing equipment now. We'll be, we're going to give them a real friendly and safe environment, but between you and I, um, it is a, you know, at some point in time, there's got to be some level of accountability that all of us have. You know what? We can't lock ourselves in our homes forever. Okay. That's not the answer. And, and you know what? If you feel like you're at risk, wear a mask, wear gloves, drink hand sanitizer if you have to. And you know what? But at some point in time, you got to unleash the, you got to unleash the, the, the population. You know, you got to, you got to let business get back in business. Otherwise, covert 19 
is going to be least of our worries. When you, if, you, if you start closing thousands of small businesses across this country, believe me, small business is the backbone of our country. And, and how, do you, how do you deal with this mentally? Um, well, it, it's, it's, it's really tough. It's, it's really tough because I, 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 I have so much empathy and compassion for these franchisees that have their life savings in their business. And, you know, I'm glad that the government has had some subsidy to, to, to help these people out. And I hope that they get through it, but it's, um, it's very difficult. I know for our company, we have, we, we haven't been able to charge our franchisees anything because they're not charging their members. So the right thing to do is not charge them. So from a company, we'll go 90 days without creating any revenue. So it's, it's had a huge hardship, but fortunately our bankers have, have stood up as well. And, you know, everybody's participating in this, uh, you know, trying, trying times that we're in. Yeah. And what do you do on a day to day basis to work on this? Because it's, it's one thing to say it, but you're living in it. And, and, and here we are like 20, 2,600 locations, no, no friend franchise uh, fees coming in. Like what, what are your, what, what are you thinking? And like, what are you working on uh, to kind of survive and, and, and thrive in, in, in these times? Well, it's, you're not thriving. You're in total survivor mode for one. Okay. Complete survivor mode. And, um, you know, you work with your bankers, you, 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 you know, you don't, lack of communication is not the answer. So you communicate with your bankers and you let them know what you're going through. And believe me, they've heard that narrative a thousand times. So it's nothing new. And so they're willing to work with you. Um, for us, we look at all of our operating expenses and we dial back everything we can, everything. So we leave no stone unturned and we, we hold on, hold on to our cash very closely with our accounts payable. We push them out, you know, we do what we need to do to stay alive and, and until we can start billing our franchisees again and start ramping up our cash flow. So it's hard for our franchisees. It's hard for us at the, at the corporate office. It's hard for the bankers. It's hard for all of the landlords of all the locations. We have clubs. Look, everybody participates. So that's just, there's no easy way out of this thing. It's, it's hard. And I tell you what, the longer that we wait for these states to open up, the higher we are at risk of losing businesses. It's that simple. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And let's talk a little bit about uh, building Snap Fitness. If we go back to like 2003, what was the main idea and like, how did you grow, grow it? Well, when I, when I created the concept, I had, when I sold, when I sold all of my clubs, you know, when I, when I had that opportunity to turn around that failing club, once I had that club paid off, I went ahead and I, I built another six clubs over a period of 20 years. So when I sold all of those clubs, I was, I was sitting at home and one of my employees who had been with me for about 12 years, he said, Hey, Peter, would you build a club for me, build a club for me and let me, and I'll run it for you. And, um, you know, I had just sold my company. And so I really wasn't thinking about getting back into the fitness space, but it's a good thing that I did. And, and I started thinking about what if I cut out the swimming pool and the racquetball courts and the, and the childcare and, and pretty soon that club, instead of it being 40,000 square feet, it was 4,000 square feet. Instead of having 50 employees, I had two. So that was the product. 
I built that club and he ran the first one. He and I ran it together because I wanted to see it. <clears throat> but I sold enough memberships in 90 days to cash flow that business for the year. 90 days. Because it was a fraction of the cost of building one of these big full service clubs. So I told him, I'm going to build another one. I built one in a little bit smaller town because I wanted to see how it performed because I was curious. It performed the same way. I built a third club yet. Now, this is before I ever franchised. I built a third club in a town of 3,500 people. And I thought, there's no way this thing is going to work in this small town. It worked. The unit level economics fell in place. In that town of 3,500 people, the, the rent was $1,000 a month, and that included utilities. And uh, it was just, you know, it was just every, everything worked. Well, from there, I, I knew that I had I knew that I had a tiger by the tail. I knew that I had something that was scalable and that and that and that would resonate with the people. So I, I went to some of the best franchise attorneys in the country. I didn't cut any corners. I made sure my documentation was done perfectly. And then I started documenting. I wrote the manual, the operations manual myself. I didn't leave anything to chance. The first year I built 12 clubs. And, and I, I felt good about it, right? I still wasn't making any money to speak of, but I felt good about it. Um, the second year I went from 12 clubs to about 60 clubs, which now I'm making money, but I, I was refining my process and every segment of my, of my business, I would have somebody allocated to. And believe it or not, when I was in year four, by that time I was building 200 plus opening 200 plus new stores a year. Okay. And the, and in, in fact, in 2007, that was, that was four years later, I opened 377 stores in one year. So think about that. I was opening a store more than one a day. Okay. And that was, and, and what's interesting, if you walked into my, my, my headquarters, you would not see people running around with their hair on fire. Everybody stayed in their lane. And as we were opening stores, as the pressure got greater, I would add more people into that lane. So I was really good about keeping people in their lane. And the system that I had designed was, was rock solid. So I, I, was, I was very fortunate. And let's make no mistake about it. I hired some great people who could multitask. I think early on in a company, the first five or six hires you make are the most important because you got to get people that are not one dimensional that can do a multiple of different things. Peter, I'm curious, like you, you, you built this five, six health, health clubs and you sold them and then you got back into the fire. Like why, why are you so passionate about this and working so hard? You know, I've, I've always been, you know, and, and with, when I started Snap Fitness, you know, I've never had a plan B. So I've always kind of ran my businesses with a little bit of paranoia, right? That, you know, there's nothing, when you've got no plan B, when you have nowhere else to turn, um, you get very, that's very motivating in itself, right? I mean, it's because to go out and try to find a job where you feel like you've got the same opportunity is very, very hard to do. So I knew in my case that I had an amazing opportunity in front of me. I just had to go get it. I had to go get it. And, and, and that's exactly what I did. I, I, I tell you what, I'm, I mean, I'm not afraid to say I worked my ass off. I sacrificed a lot. Um, but it was, you know, it was well worth the burn. No question about it.
what are some of the things we were talking about millennials and wanting everything like what are some of the things you had to sacrifice well and you know that, that's something that i that i talk about a lot when i'm consulting and i consult with a lot of millennials and i'm not here to pick on millennials but i can tell you straight away you know the in order to win to and when i say win in business i'm i'm speaking about it from the financial sense okay because i tell you what when i ask people you know what do you want out of this business when they when they when they want to do something when they want to start a business if it's not the first thing it's the second or third thing for sure they say they want to make money okay they want to be they want to make money and and i tell them okay well are you prepared? Are you prepared for the sacrifice and the discipline and the commitment of running a business? And do you realize it's, it's seven days a week, it's 24 hours a day. It never leaves you. It's always there. I mean, if you're, if you're going to, it's not, don't get in your head that they say, Peter, you know, I need to make 80,000 a year. Okay. Well, look, and I need to make a million a year. Look, if the business can't afford 80,000, you're not getting 80,000. If the business doesn't cash flow, you're not going to pay yourself anything. You're going to get paid zero. So just lay the landscape down for them that look, nine out of 10 businesses fail. So you've got a 90% chance of failure, my friend. So I lay it out there. And I'm not the voice of gloom and doom. I'm preparing them to go to battle. And because I tell you what, I see so many people, they think owning a business is a license to create your own hours, golf as much as you want, fish as much as you want, and make six figures a year. And it couldn't be any further from the truth. Most people get into these things, and if they don't have the money, their family put up the money, they lose it all, and it ends up creating great hardship and tension amongst the family. So I set the groundwork saying, hey, look, this is what you better be prepared to do. And if you're not mentally prepared, if you don't have the, the gut to do that and the heart to do it, don't get into it because you're going to lose your ass and it's going to be the worst five years or four years of your life. I promise you. Were there any times where you thought you were going to lose your ass, so to speak? Oh, man. <laughs> I, t I tell you, you know, I learned a lesson when I, when I was trying to turn around that one health club. Um, I remember one night, I was sitting up, it was about three in the morning and I had just written out payroll checks. And the, the, this was not Snap Fitness, this was America's Fitness Centers. I had wrote payroll checks out and I had no money in the checkbook, okay? I didn't have enough money in the checkbook to cover the payroll. And it was, it's three in the morning, I couldn't sleep, I'm up in my kitchen and at the time I was living with my parents and, and I was crying, literally tears coming down my face, right? I was completely stressed I'm like, shit, I thought this is the end. I thought about the embarrassment of people cashing their checks and having their checks bounce and all that, all that, you know, um, stuff that goes with it. And I remember my mom, I don't know how she heard me, but she came, she came out in, into the uh, kitchen where I was, where I was sitting at the kitchen table. And, uh, and I didn't see her hear her come, but she put her hand on the back of my neck. I'm sitting there crying. And she says, she just said, all she said, she goes, Peter, you will get through this. And then she went back to bed, right? That's all she said. She didn't sit down and talk to me. She just put her hand on the back of my neck. She says, you will get through this. And you know what? I did, you know, God, God willing. I mean, the next day I had about three people come in and prepay their memberships for the year. 
I mean, which was, which is, you know, unheard of, but it literally, I was on the brink. If I was, if I was in an airplane, I was, I was literally a foot from hitting the ground before I turned up and, and pulled out of it. Well, the rest is history. So it goes to show, I went from that, I went from the abyss of literally losing everything to building a company, you know, north of $250 million company. Anything is possible. I mean, it's, it's incredible when you say that. And I, I think when I, when I look at parts of my life, some of my best performances as an athlete was when everything went wrong and somehow I kept, I kept showing up, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's something that is incredible. And it, it makes me sad when, when, I, when you see people that are so close and then they quit. Yes. Uh, what do you want to say to those people that are like, they're seeing some traction and then shit hits the fan just like it did for you. And then like, Hey, I'm giving up. Well, you know, I tell them a couple of things. And, and the first thing I'm going to do is make a point to your point about the, I know that you were an athlete and it's not uncommon for athletes to transcend from their sports into business. And I truly believe that because the discipline that you have to have to play a sport at a high level that same discipline and commitment is applicable in business. So that doesn't shock me at all. Um, to, to, to people that have a business and they're seeing some traction, but it's not coming fast enough. My question to these, these people is always, how much do you have into the business? What's the, do, what's the dollar amount? And here's another part that's, that's amazing to me. They might say, Peter, I have 200,000 into the space. And I say, okay. So are you willing to, you're willing to lose the 200,000? Yeah, yeah, I just, this is just not gonna work. I say, okay, um, do you rent the space that you're in? Yeah, okay, how, how, how long was your lease? Five years, all right. Where are you in the lease? I'm two years into it, what's your rent? You know, 5,000 a month. And, and I just tell them, okay. So you got three years, you, you've got 180,000 of additional debt on there. Cause that landlord, he's not gonna say, oh, I'm sorry, it didn't work out for you. You're gonna pay the rent, he doesn't care. He doesn't care. He doesn't care if you pull everything out of there and, and it sits empty for three years. You've personally guaranteed the rent. So I set the perspective for people. So once I've set it up like that, I tell them, here's what I would do. Dig deep, dig deep and, and, and find that fire in your belly. And let's try to build this business. Let's at least try to get it to where it's cash flow positive because now you have something that's sellable. You can't sell it if it's losing money you're gonna sell this thing for literally pennies on the dollar. If you're just willing to suck it up and let's, let's try to turn this thing around, let's see what we can do to cut our expenses back a little bit. Let's see if there's any room to free up some cash flow. But then let's just give it, give it your last push here for six months and see if we can't fight our way out of this. Because if you do, you have a business that's sellable. But if you, if you had a losing business, you know, it's, it's not, you're going to get, you're going to get reamed on the way out. Yeah. And that takes us into one of your quotes and your management philosophy. Success is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. Can we just talk a little bit about that? And yeah. I mean, right now we're all on the verge of uh, fucking overreacting for everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. So can you just talk about that and, and, and see how, how we can help, help more like understanding that concept and actually doing it? Yeah, it's, you know what, in, 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 business, in business and in life, 
okay, in life. Nobody likes, nobody likes to hang around somebody who's flighty and is always flying off the handle, right? There's always gonna be adversity that approaches our life. Just when you think life couldn't get any better, something comes out of nowhere, you get blindsided and suddenly it, you're, it's, you're, you're on the other side of it where you, things couldn't get worse. So, you know, it takes a certain level of maturity, number one. Number two, flying off the handle, there's a certain sense of that is you're, you're panicking, okay? And if you're in a leadership role within a company, you can't, people are going to look to you to see how you respond. I mean, in my companies, I always tell people, one thing I don't tolerate, I don't tolerate people, you know, yelling, screaming, kicking the garbage can, you know, that doesn't that doesn't fly. I tell people, hey, look, you do your job and you focus on your job. If there's anyone around here, it's going to get excited. It's going to be me, right? So I leave it. Otherwise, just do your job and do it to the best of your ability. Literally, simple as that. So, and that that's that's a great lesson for some of these people. And and you know what? I've I've had the good fortune of working with so many talented people. And and I, I'll tell you what, there's a lot of people that have now gone on and have done some amazing things. And they've done that as a result of just, just being in a great company environment, watching a company thrive and see how it's done while, while maintaining your sanity. And uh, Peter, when was the last time you, you lost it and, and, and why? Last time I lost it. I, the last time I lost it was with my private equity partner because I'm a minority shareholder with Lyft Brands now. So I would, it would be with my private equity partner on recapping the company. You know, they recap the company. They put, in my opinion, too much, too much debt on the company. That's not how I roll. And now with COVID-19, that's, that's, that, that puts you in a, in a tough spot. Nothing that you can't fight your way out of, but still, it was, it was unnecessary risk. We didn't, you know, I didn't need the dividend. They, they certainly, I'm assuming they didn't need the dividend. It was not a good, it was not a good business move. And, and that was a great lesson for me. You know what? The next time that I sell the controlling interest of my company, I'm not, I'm going to make sure that I sell. So maybe I'll keep 20% of the company instead of 44%. Great. That's a great lesson for me. And that's why you never stop learning. You never stop learning. And that was a great lesson for me. I mean, that that's the interesting part of life. We live and we learn, right? Even though we're, I think it's almost like an onion. It's different layers that we peel off and we can always learn more. And it, it's crazy. You can talk about this. And how, how do you deal with problems? Because I think people who, who, who want to build something, one of their main problems is that they don't have enough money. Then when you're in a situation where you have an amazing business, now you have... Uh, problems because people want your money. So can you just talk about that? Well, the, the more you have, I can tell you what, you know, w one of the things that I do when I'm consulting is I literally look at people, their, their full plan. So hopefully I get to them before they launch their business. Because in many cases, when people are launching their business or getting ready to, I look at them and I say, number one, they don't have enough capital. Okay. They're going to be capital starved very quickly. And then number two, they don't have an exit strategy. And to me, if, if you're creating a business, it's, you, you create the concept and you're either doing one of two things. You're either enhancing an existing product that's in the marketplace, or you're going to be an innovator. You're going to bring something to the market that they've never seen before. Now, if you're an innovator, that costs a hell of a lot more money 
than taking something that's already there and enhancing it, making it better. So you got to make sure that you have enough capital. You have to make sure that you have an exit strategy. Okay. So those are, those are probably two of the most important components for sure. Um, before people get into the business itself. Thank you for sharing that. I have a couple of more questions and then I'll let you go. Uh, I want to talk about your personal life. Like what, what are you most proud of in your personal life? Boy. Um, well, I'm, I'm proud of a lot of things. Uh, I'm proud of a lot of things. I don't, you know, here's, here's what I'm proud of. I'm proud that I've, um, that I've remained, I've remained humble and, um, and I'm very kind. I'm generous and I'm compassionate. Um, I always say money doesn't make the man. And I, tr and I truly believe that. I mean, if you, if you looked at me now and, and I've accomplished a lot, but since you asked the question, I often wonder how did this kid who went to school in a two room schoolhouse with very modest beginnings, how did I get from that? I quit college my junior year. How did I get from that to having a net worth north of a hundred million dollars, private jets, yachts, I'm sitting in a $10 million lake home in Minnesota. I have a penthouse in Miami, Ferraris, Aston Martins. How does that happen? So that's why I have such a, a, a deep faith. And, and in fact, I, I pray every, every day. I say, hey, God, you know what? I'm a, I'm a warrior. I'm a street fighter. I've got grit. And you need to have those things to, to I think, be successful and to fight your way through adversity. But, um, you know, I, I, I say every day, hey, God, I mean, I've been blessed more than than I would ever imagine my wildest dreams. So I ask him to put me in the, put me in the fire of in front of people that need help where I can make a, where I can make a difference in their life, give them a leg up, chart a course for them where they can um, maybe save some of the road rash that comes with trying to build a company. And then I just ask that they see his face and not mine on any good that I do. So that that's how I am. I'm really, I'm profoundly, I'm grateful for the life that I have. You'll, you'll never see me condescending to anyone. That's not how I roll. And I, I'm the kind of guy, I, I hop out of my jet with faded jeans and a t-shirt and a baseball cap on. I'm good with it. I don't, I don't need to prove myself to anyone. I've done it. I've, I validated it. I was the Ernst and Young Entrepreneur of the Year. Uh, and I did that through having great people and a great team effort. And I, I think winning in business, it's a team effort. Make no mistake about it. I may be the face of the brand, but those are all the things I'm grateful for. I'm grateful for all the experiences I've had in the last 30 years of business. And my goal here today for the next 50 years is to take those experiences and help people navigate their way through to, to a successful outcome. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And if you, if you could just say, like, if there was just one thing that, think, uh, that you believe took you from that little boy to where you are today. What, what is the most important trade you would say? Discipline and consistency for sure. 100%. I mean, you can have all the money in the world, but if you don't have discipline, because discipline and consistency means that you're going to show up every day with the same level of intensity. You're not wishy-washy. Okay but you can have all the money in the world and you, you know, you can't, it's very difficult to buy your way in, into a successful, sustainable business, you know, and that's why you see that all the time. You'll see like a, 
a third generation family business that gets run into the ground. Why? Because it's so far removed from how those founders developed that company and how they innovated and, and, and were and we're fighting constantly to remain relevant with the customer base, with, with what the community and, and, and uh, the, the, the general public is looking for. That, that, takes, that takes consistency and discipline. So th that would be the two things that I, would, that I would say you have to have. It's a must have. Consistency and discipline. You sound like a martial artist. Right? <laughs> it's, it's great. <laughs> it's amazing. And uh, one thing that, that I'm, I want to do with you now is kind of uh, – I want you to imagine you're 87 or 107 and you're like sitting in a rocking chair, maybe overlooking the beautiful water in Miami or wherever you want to be. And you kind of contemplate on life. What do you want to have seen in order to say, hey, this was a good run? Um, well, I'm hoping that I'm hoping that um, I'm not at a place where I have to I, I make that 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 determination like a good run based on money i hope that on my grave um it's not you know he was a hell of an entrepreneur i'm grateful for that i'm grateful for having the the, the right mental mindset that that tends to be lend itself very well to being successful so for some reason that's, that mindset sits really well with my day-to-day -day living and my lifestyle, my discipline. So I'm hoping it's not that. I'm hoping that, it's a, that it says, hey, look, Peter took the success of his business and he made a difference in people's lives. And, and that's for the philanthropy that I'm doing. That's for my fight against um, animal cruelty and, anti and, and poaching. It's for helping for the families of fallen soldiers who serve this country, helping pay for the education of those families. It's for feeding the homeless. I hope that that people look at that and say, you know what? He didn't, it wasn't all about the stuff and the shit that we all accumulate over a lifetime. It was about giving back. And, and for me, then how I, how I show up the next 50 years is, is going to be in that capacity. I, I don't need, I don't have the pressure of going out and making money anymore although I like to do it because I, I like the challenge of creating a company and, and growing it. Um, but that's not, that's not going to define who I am. That's awesome. And Peter is happiness and success the same thing? No, no. Um, you know, I, I, I did a podcast a while ago, so I'm, you know, I've been divorced for five years. I'm very, very financially, very, very successful, right? I have an unbelievable lifestyle but I've never been lonelier in my life than I am right now. As crazy as that sounds, I'm single. I'm, you know, I'm looking for, you know, the right woman who's, who is like, who loves me for my heart and not for my wallet. If that makes any sense, um, that she's like-minded and she's, you know, she has some ambition, just that she, she brings something to the party. So I'm, you know, I'm actively looking and I'm patient. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not desperate by any means, but, um, you know, my friends think I'm crazy. They think, man, you've got, you've, you know, you were married, now you're single. You can, you know, you date all these beautiful women. I do date some amazing women, but I, I'm, I'm looking for, I don't want to be a serial dater. I'm looking for, you know, a real relationship for, uh, for the long haul. I want to get it right the second time around. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, we can also use this video and post it as a dating uh, <laughs> dating video if you would like because <laughs> hey, that was good shit <laughs> hey, throw, throw it out there, throw it out there. <laughs>
Yeah. Uh, last question, Peter, is that what, what I want to do, I want to help uh, people take action. And we, I do that by honoring people like yourself that are creating amazing things, but also being so vulnerable, vulnerable and saying, hey, I have things that I need to work on. I'm still on a journey and that's, it's a human experience. Nobody's perfect and that's why it's so beautiful. So thanks again for, for sharing so open-heartedly. But what is that one thing people that want to create something cool in their life, achieve their dreams, what should they do right now after listening to this? Well, to, if, if, you're dream, if we're talking about dreams that are financial dreams, if that's what we're talking about, I would say the first thing you do is need to have, look at your fiscal accountability, meaning how much money are you making and how are you spending it? Do a deep dive in that. Do a deep dive, literally dial your personal spending all the way back to zero and then start analyzing where you're spending your money and, and get yourself on a plan where you are starting to save money. And believe me, the more you can save, the faster you're going to get to the opportunity of either starting your own business or buying into a business and being a partner, however it might be, but it does, this doesn't happen without cash. And I tell you what, the discipline in that exercise is going to serve you well. People say, oh, Peter, even if I cut everything back, I'm only going to save, you know, $500 a month. I tell them 500 is 500. But the real lesson here is in the exercise of dialing yourself back, putting, pushing yourself into that space of accountability. So the, the word of advice for people would be to, to dial their expenses back to zero. And then really analyze every dollar that goes out and ask yourself, is that a need or is that a want? Because that's, it's that financial discipline that's going to serve you well in your business. But it's also people, it's an epiphany that they have when they look at how, the, how they throw money away and they start looking at how much they spend on eating out or Starbucks coffee, all these little subtle changes that they can make that suddenly they're saving a thousand dollars a month, which which, you know what, you do that for a couple of years, two, three, four years. Now you've got at least some cash where you can buy into an existing business. That's a great advice. Uh, Peter, uh, here's a virtual hug to you. Yeah, right on, bro. <laughs> uh, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you a lot. And uh, if people want to connect with you, where's the best uh, way to do that? Yeah, I make it really easy for you. I, I post on Instagram is where I'm at, and it's Peter A U N T O N. And for me, I do my my wall posts are predominantly motivational and business related. But if you look at my stories and my stories, I post some things every day. Look at those because that that tells you I've got this business side of me, but then I've also got how I live my life. And I think that's important to see both sides and how you can see the balance of what I'm doing. I love that. Thank you so much. I want to thank everybody that listened and watched to this episode. I mean, my big fat goal is to help at least 10 million people to go after and actually achieve their dreams. I do that by sharing incredible stories just like Peter's here today. Uh, if you listen to this and enjoy this conversation, give us some love. Go to Peter Tontem, hit him up, give him a, send him a DM and tell him what you thought about this episode. Share this episode with someone that needs to hear this message. Maybe someone in the fitness industry or an entrepreneur that needs some advice for somebody that have done it. 
Uh, also check us out at ilovesuccess.co. We have almost 200 amazing episodes with entrepreneurs, UFC champions, Olympians, astronauts, 9-11 survivors. We have so many interesting people sharing from their heart. Uh, you'll also get a couple of free chapters of my book, The Goal Book, How to Achieve Your Dreams and Create a Better Life, which is a blueprint for creating your dreams and actually putting them into sub-goals and taking daily actions. Thank you so much, guys. I'll see you next time. And thanks again, Peter. It's my pleasure. Thank you.